Hey, resilience people, tell me if this sounds familiar. Programs that aren't mature, assessing and building roadmaps, executing the roadmaps with small teams and few resources. But what if I told you this is life in the cyber world too? Hello everyone and welcome to episode 85 as the Resilience Think Tank presents the Resilient Journey podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today I'm joined by cybersecurity advisor, Michael Perdun, as we continue to pull back the veil between cyber and resilience. In this week's episode, Michael explains what goes on in the cyber world, the importance of including multiple disciplines, including resilience, in your cyber response. And near the end of the episode, Michael explains how artificial intelligence could be our worst nightmare when it comes to phishing and other exploits. Remember, the Resilient Journey is now ad-free, so give some love to the Resilience Think Tank. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you here, man. So you and I have known each other for a bit, but uh, many of my listeners might not know you yet, so introduce yourself. Thanks, Mark. Uh, my name is Michael Perdon. I'm uh, an advisor for Cyber Defense Labs, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to be on. Thank you for having me. I love that title, advisor, right? Because, I mean, I'm a consultant. I might change that. I might actually ha have to start saying I'm, I'm an advisor. I, I really like that. Uh, I want to touch on some of the services that your company provides because it's important to understand kind of some of the things that are going on behind the veil when it comes to cyber. And that's what we want to do today is we want to sort of pull back that veil let some of my resilience colleagues understand what's going on 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 your side over there. So, let's talk a little bit about the advisory services that you provide. Um, some of them in, involve things such as risk-based uh, assessments and things like that. What what are you trying to accomplish by that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think it's a I think it's a perfect title for for really what we do. Right, we partner with our clients to really understand you know, kind of where they're at uh, as a starting point for their maturity, right? So if, if you imagine, you know, just like resiliency, security is, is a journey, you know, of, hey, we're, we're starting with a few things and then we're going to build and build and build. Uh, very similar for security for the clients that we work with, right? So a lot of the clients that, that we work with, uh, they, they would like us to come in, take a snapshot of where they're at, and then we partner with them to really understand what it's going to take to get to that next rung of the ladder for them. They've got some strengths, they've got some areas where they've got gaps. Um, and, and really what we're trying to do is help them uh, tell a compelling story about what that next step for them looks like over the next, you know, 18, 24 months, so that they can take that forward to their leadership uh, to, to really tell the story about where security is going, why it's important that they're heading there, what investments in people, process, and technology they need to make in order to get there. You know, the, the name of this podcast is The Resilient Journey, and it's based on the exact concept of what you just talked about. Absolutely. Um, you're never there, are you? I mean, there's always new vulnerabilities. There's always things from a cybersecurity perspective that you need to be aware of. I know that one of the things that your organization focuses on uh, would be penetration testing. And sometimes people talk about pen tests and sometimes they talk about vulnerability assessments, but those aren't necessarily the same things, are they? Explain the difference. 
Yeah, we have, we've got a fantastic penetration team uh, at CDL. Um, I, I'm really always excited when I get the opportunity to work with those guys. And, and we do a tremendous amount of work together because our, uh, our services really are two sides of the same coin, right? Um, so, the, so the difference between you know, a penetration test and a vulnerability assessment, um, I, I would say we all have vulnerabilities. Right, every company, you know, we've we've always got vulnerabilities. And if you think about your house, you've you've got vulnerabilities at your house, right? Your door is a vulnerability. The windows are vulnerabilities, right? Um, but what what a penetration test does so would be to look and see how exploitable are those things, right? How easy would it be for an adversary to take advantage of that? And if I can, what do I gain access to, right? So a vulnerability would just be Hey, you've you've got you know this many things. Here's what we see, and and very much a, a rundown of your current state, right? The pen test is is really that next stage of the game, which is okay with those vulnerabilities. What can I do? What can I get at? Uh, what does that give me access to? And now that I have a beachhead, what can I get to, right? Because very often for an attacker, um, there there's dwell time. Right. So an attacker will get into an organization and they're they're not going to just, you know, run around and ring every alarm bell. Right. They're mm -hmm. going to sit and wait and watch. They, they want to see what they have. They want to see who they have and they want to see what they can make money off of. Right. Very much. If you think about um, our adversaries like a business, they, they've got to make money. Right. Um, they, they've got to have a return on that investment that they're making in that organization in order to make it worthwhile. And so they need to understand what they can monetize in terms of that beachhead. So they're going to sit there and they're going to wait and they're going to see what they can gain access to to further propagate their exposure. One of the things that you talk about is why it's smart to discover your security limitations before the cyber criminals do. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> The speed at which adversaries move now is just incredible, right? It, you know, in, in the past, it would take, you know, months to, to, you know, kind of uncover a vulnerability. Somebody might stumble upon it. Now that's happening daily for organizations. So you think mm -hmm. about the tools that are available to our adversaries and to us as, you know, defenders, um, that those are, those are very much the same tools available to us. So as fast as we can discover it, somebody else can discover it, right? And as fast as I can take advantage to try to patch it, somebody else can move against that. Um, and so it's very important from a defender standpoint that you are constantly looking, that you've got a robust program that can not only take inventory of what your vulnerabilities are, but move quick enough to remediate those things which are dangerous to you, right? So we've, we've got to have that prioritization and we've got to be able to get the throughput uh, to, to make that happen and get that to a remediated state. So we've talked a little bit about some things here to kind of check our status. We've done the risk assessments. We've done some pen testing. We've done some vulnerability assessments. All of that is kind of compiled together in a giant cyber assessment, right? And, and and basically what you do is you look at where you are and then what do you do, build a roadmap from there or how does that work? Yeah, very often our clients uh, 
are on that journey. They want to know from our experience what that roadmap looks like, what investments they need to make, maybe what they haven't thought of yet. Um, and so often, you know, a an assessment in terms of their maturity will lead to, you know, uh, the next question, which is, okay, you know, great. How, how do we do that or, or help us do that? And, and that's really the exciting part of Cyber Defense Labs is being that trusted advisor for our clients to be able to have those conversations with them to say, you know what, we identified identity and access management as a weakness for you. We've, we've worked on that with clients before. Here's typically what that's going to look like in terms of a roadmap, because a security roadmap is, is not monolithic. It's many things, right? Many mm-hmm. parallel streams that are happening simultaneously. And keeping all of those balls in the air uh, takes great leadership from, from the top, a commitment and investment from the organization, and a sustained effort at the ground level to make sure that once you get to that next stage, it's not rest on your laurels. It takes energy just to maintain that level of maturity. So at every rung of the ladder, you're thinking more and more energy, more and more investment just to maintain that program. And if you don't maintain that program, you're going to slide backwards, right? So, so it's, it's very complicated, very difficult, which is why it takes so long. And, and, and you know, um, it, it takes a lot of time energy and effort to make sure that you are you have momentum you can sustain that momentum and that you can prove that you're doing the right things because every dollar that we invest in security is a dollar that somebody else would love to have and and that's got to be for you know for forefront for any security leader out there it's really an interesting <laughs> debate isn't it because uh, if you don't want to spend the money on cyber defense, uh, that could actually end up costing you a great deal more down the road in privacy breach, lost data, downtime, so many other factors. And that kind of leads me to my next question. You talked about the parallel work streams that have to be considered. And one of those is privacy and compliance and understanding, for example, Reach notification and reporting. You know, it, it this field is not just about the technical stuff, right? There's a lot of uh, very complex non-technical aspects to it. So, talk a little bit about uh, breach notification and reporting. Yeah, they, you know, I think I think that's really the exciting part of of security is that it's not purely a, a technical endeavor. You really have to have that balance between the technical, the operational, and the strategic. And, and this is an area I, I think that, you know, kind of perfe- perfectly illustrates that. Um, so, it, you know, breach notification has been over the last several years become a really hot topic as there's been more and more attention at the U.S. federal government level. But it's important, I think, for every everybody to recognize that all 50 states, the District of Columbia, Guam, Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands have security breach notification on the books that require businesses to notify if their citizens' personal data is compromised. So, so that's already there now. Now, what's happened in the last few years is an expansion of that, right? So, so you saw uh, the U.S. federal government move to put breach notification uh, laws on the books, right? What that did is start to set the baseline for, hey, if you have a ransomware attack, 
you've got to notify the authorities a because as a collective defense you know of of you know kind of critical infrastructure it's really important that we all you know kind of own up and say hey you know what i i've got an issue over here uh because if we're if we're not and and we're secretive about it which is you know traditionally how we've been right we've been you know shut the doors lock ourselves down and and we're not saying anything right no comment that's really struggle for us to move forward right because our our adversaries are sharing like crazy right they're they're selling stuff on the dark web they're they're collaborating together on what works what doesn't work um and if we're not collaborating then then we're falling behind we're we're losing um and so 19 states are currently reviewing their breach notification language. I I would I, I would know for sure that those states are looking at what the federal government's looking you know doing, looking at what states like California, um, Utah, Virginia, and, and others who have recently updated their privacy laws, and looking at what's working, what's not working, and and putting those into effect. It's unfortunate that you know, laws are always going to lag behind what our adversaries are doing. There's no way that we can keep that same speed on the regulatory side. And so what we have to do as practitioners is really be engaged at that level, be engaged on the advocacy front and, and public policy front to be, talk about really what works and what help we need from our state, local, federal government uh, partners. You, you said so much in there and I'm only limited in time of how many things I can follow up and ask you on uh, out of that. But one of the things I do want to talk about um, is how this varies by state and the burden that that puts on organizations that if there was a data breach and if it was employee data that spread across multiple states, those states very likely would have different reporting criteria, methods, timing, procedures, and so forth. I mean, that makes it really tough, doesn't it? Uh, as an advisor, how do you guide clients in, in that regard? I, I think first and foremost is you've got to have somebody who's responsible for that area, right? And and for some organizations, depending on their size, that is that is not going to be, um, you know, a, a full-time person with a full-time team that's, you know, a, a chief privacy officer and, and, and then, you know, subsequent team. But somebody to say, hey, keep your eye on these things, right? Understand the areas that we operate in and pay attention to the changing regulatory landscape. Um, because you're absolutely right. You know, unfortunately, um, if you wait until day one when you've had an event and then you start doing your research, your time is ticking, right? Many yeah. of those states have... Um, you know, 30, 60, 90 day requirements. And it may take you that long just to figure out what you've lost, who it's associated with, you know, and, and how to get a hold of those individuals. And you may be really pressed against that, that wall in order to meet those obligations. And, and I think it's really important to remember why those those timelines are there, right? They're there to protect those citizens so that you've lost their, you know, data. Potentially you've put them at risk, right? From, from identity theft. You've got to be able to provide them notifications so that they can take actions, right? So we've got to balance protection of the organization which with protection of, you know, those citizens in those jurisdictions. 
It's a really good point. And for those listening in the resilience space, this sounds just like our programs too. Not always huge teams. Sometimes it's one person. Sometimes it's on the corner of someone's desk and they don't even have a full-time person dedicated to that program. But there are certain aspects that when it hits, when it happens, you have to be prepared. So you have to do that work ahead of time. And I, I love that you said that. The other thing that you said that I wanted to jump on is how so often organizations that are hit with something like ransomware or something like that don't share it and they tend to shut down. And I think that the perpetrators count on that, don't they? I mean, they they count on it's almost a, an embarrassment factor. I, I think the interesting thing over the last several years is that kind of change of the corner that our adversaries are very willing to publicly shame you now, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you, and and so that changes the calculus because that really puts organizations on their back foot when they're thinking that oh, I'm going to control this and I'm going to contain this and and I'm going to limit you know that reputational damage. Um, when an adversary can release that at any time or, or, you know, put something up on Twitter that, you know, kind of proves that they've got a foothold there. And there have been a number of organizations that have had that happen where they've been trying to downplay it. They've been trying to, um, you know, kind of control that messaging and the adversary kind of undoes that. And so I think I think it's really important that you get engagement from your marketing and communication team to really think through what they'll say, um, what you as a leadership team are comfortable with talking about. And I think that's where, you know, um, you know, have, having a tabletop, you know, exercise, having those conversations ahead of time is so vital because you don't want to be sitting in that room saying, okay, here's what's actually happened and trying to figure out what you're going to say. You want to think about those things so that you can think really intelligently Think about the outcome of those messages, how that's going to be interpreted by your stakeholders, and then maybe rework those messages as, as you think about what that uh, downstream implication is going to be. Once again, multiple disciplines, multiple stakeholders. It's a common theme, and it's going to be a theme in this next question I'm going to ask you. We talk about things that every organization should have in place, different practices and so forth, when it comes to being prepared for a ransomware attack. You want to talk about some of the things that we should be aware of in that area? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, first, first and foremost, um, you know, I think having, having appropriate technical controls, right? So multi-factor authentication, you know, endpoint detection, you know, monitoring in place um, and, and limiting that, administrator access of, of your standard users, right? So there's some blocking and tackling that organizations have to do. That's step number one, right? Step number two is now thinking about, okay, what, what happens, you know, kind of when we are hit, right? And I think that that's where, you know, practicing through tabletop exercises, you know, working through your incident response plan with, with both your technical team and your management team. And both sides are really important because um, they both have to function really well. There's there's great examples of organizations who have gotten the technical right and screwed up the, the management part and vice versa, right? They've, they've gotten the messaging right, um, but, they, but they've, you know, really struggled on the technical side. And both are force multipliers for each other. 
right? Um, so, so working with your incident response team, working with that crisis management team to really understand what, what do we do and how do we respond and having clear roles and responsibilities for that time. Because those are things that you don't want to be figuring out on the fly when people have been up on night, they're, they're stressed, um, they're, they're already on edge. You want to be working through those things so that you can work very quickly. Um, from there, I think, you know, you want to think about what, what that next, you know, kind of wave top is, you know, whether that's, you know, how you will recover from that incident, right? And so I think then things like cybersecurity insurance, uh, you know, kind of breach notification, your relationship, you know, kind of law enforcement at the, you know, state, local, federal level, what are the resources that can help you get up and running? And then, you know, how are you practicing that disaster recovery business continuity piece of that really becomes important, right? So that has to be a parallel track. Do we have backups? Because, you know, if, if something happens, it's going to be the first question. Do we have backups? Can we get up and running? And if, if the team comes back and says, yeah, I don't know, that, that really puts you on the back foot as, as a leader because now you don't know, is this going to be a, you know, a, a, you know, an eight hour downtime or is this going to be an eight day downtime? Those decisions are very different. Um, and so you've got to be practicing both sides of that coin in order to provide all of the information that leaders are going to need to make great decisions. It becomes part of the equation when you're faced with a decision as to whether or not you're going to pay ransom. Can Absolutely. we recover? If we can recover, how long is it going to take? And then to your point about understanding business continuity aspects of it, this is a core system. Maybe it's used by a core part of our business that can't afford to be down longer than, let's just say, a day. But IT is coming back and saying it's going to take us six days, six weeks to recover. All of those things are important factors when it comes to making some of those key decisions. Uh, you, you talked about roles and responsibilities in that answer. And again, multidiscipline. It's really important, isn't it, to make sure you have people who are trained to do specific roles in those roles. Like you don't want necessarily your IT people uh, sending out uh, statements to customers, do you? I mean, what do you typically advise in that area? I, I think you're you're absolutely right. You, you wanna be leaning on everybody's strengths in those moments, right? So your communication team is most likely gonna be really great at crisis communication because they're doing it, you know, kind of hopefully not day in and day out, but, but they're going to be more practiced than your IT folks, right? Mm -hmm. um, your, your IT folks, by, you know, on, on the same token, you don't want your leaders, you know, looking over their shoulder, asking them, you know, well, why are you doing that? What are you doing here? You want to leave that team to be able to do what they do well. Um, and, and I think it really, you know, then, then you think about, you, you had talked about multidiscipline, like notification to your customers, right? If there's a customer impact, you know, how are we going to communicate with our customers and, and you know, uh, the, the vendors that rely on us, uh, maybe for information. And I think that's really important. Something that doesn't often, you know, get thought of in that heat of that moment is, hey, if, is this going to be an impact to our customers? And if so, how will we notify them? Because they may already know, they may know before you know that, that systems are down or, or acting funny or, or there's a diminished capacity. And so they may be already asking questions and that might be before you're ready to make a public statement. And so I think that's that's why it's so important to have all 
those stakeholders at the table to be able to make an informed decision that the organization can stand behind. Because the last thing you want to have happen is if somebody, you know, says something offhandedly because, you know, they, they found out about something and then, you know, it undoes, you know, kind of all of this great work that you're, that you're trying to accomplish. I'd be interested to get your view on this. Um, my understanding is that probably the most easily exploited vulnerability in any network is the people, the employees. And uh, talk a little bit about, first of all, whether that's accurate or not, and then how uh, anti-phishing training and campaigns and things like that can be helpful. Yeah, I, I think it it continues to hold true um, that nine out of 10 breaches start with a fish, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's so important that you're working with your people. It's so important that you're working with employees contractors, anybody who has access to your systems on making sure that they have uh, the, the training and confidence to spot those malicious emails as they come in, um, no matter how good your technology is, no matter how hard you work on it, our adversaries are getting better and better. And, and with, you know, kind of AI here, that becomes easier and easier to craft not only good generic uh, phishing campaigns, but well-crafted spear phishing campaigns, because if you, if you can imagine it, it takes, again, it, it takes a lot of time and energy and, and money to research somebody, research an organization and put together a crafted targeted campaign to a subset of individuals with, with things like, you know, AI on the horizon, that becomes so much easier for me to say, Hey, here's the list of people that I want to target or even, you know, skip that, go to LinkedIn, find me the people who are most, you know, kind of susceptible and write me a specific, you know, kind of message that, that will get them to click on, on something. Um, that's really the power that's on the horizon for us is that we shortchange all of those things because AI can go and make those connections so much faster than we as humans, you know, can. Um, it will be able to put together a message that takes into account your Facebook profile, takes into account your LinkedIn profile, takes in, into account that uh, conference that you posted about, you know, just the, you know, kind of the other week and put all of those things together into a compelling message um, that targets you as an individual. You're not allowed to do that, Michael. I, I'm the one who gets to ask the questions, what keeps you up at night? You can't give me stuff to keep me up at night. That is... Uh, a valid concern, and it's not something that I had necessarily given any thought to. So um, I will sarcastically say, well, thanks for that. One of the other things that we haven't had much time to talk about is uh, the, the managed security services that organizations like yours provide. Talk a little bit about the benefits to organizations from using those services. So I think with everything that we've talked about, it, it should be obvious that the folks manning the walls of your organization um, that takes time, energy, and dedication. Um, and, and those are skilled professionals um, that, that, you know, kind of are need to be engaged 24-7 to, to kind of watch, monitor, and respond. Um, so for some organizations, economically, that just doesn't make sense for them, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense for them to build the team, invest in the tools, the training, and the engagement with those individuals to keep them on their payroll, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
And so often what clients come to cyber defense labs for is when they have made that realization or they're looking at, you know, kind of options A or B, right? I can build this internally or I can outsource that. And, and I think that's, you know, that if we put it plainly and simply, that that's really what a managed service partner is providing. Um, you know, very much like the other things that you would outsource in an organization, you're outsourcing that monitoring and response. And, and I think it's, you know, it's incredibly important that your managed service team is showing that value back to you as, as an organization to say, this is what we're doing on your behalf. Um, the, the benefit of going to a managed service team is that you're able to have that economy of scale because those individuals, you know, that, that are doing that work are, are number one, not cheap. The tools that, that they're using are not cheap. Um, working 24 seven is not cheap. And so you're, you're getting to, um, you know, kind of come together in, in kind of a cooperative and say, Hey, as, as an organization, we're going to, we're going to team up with these other organizations to really defer that cost. And, and that's where the benefit comes from. Uh, this time has flown by. I don't know where that half hour went, but thank you so much for this great insight, Michael. What's the best way for people to reach you? Um, yeah, so so you can head to the website cyberdefenselabs.com. Um, you can reach out to me. I'm I'm on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to connect and and shoot me a message, and and I'm absolutely happy to have conversation um, with with uh, with anybody. Great stuff. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Mark. I want to thank Michael Perdun for joining me this week and talking about cyber. And it's interesting, isn't it, the similarities between the cyber programs and the resilience programs and the importance of these two disciplines working together for effective cyber response. The Resilient Journey is a Resilience Think Tank production. We've got some great guests lined up for late spring and early summer, so join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.